1988. It was a buddy comedy called Twins, starring Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger that came out. The whole premise of the movie was there were some scientists that were trying to create the perfect human being, and so they took the DNA of six different men and spliced them together and uh, uh, impregnated an embryo, put it in a woman who was going to give birth to this child, but when they uh, created the embryo uh, in utero, it uh, split and there were twins that were born. Watch the clip. This is when they first get to have the opportunity to see where they were born. We sealed this door the day after you were born. Well, come on in. This is what you wanted to see. You came out first, of course. We weren't expecting him. This uh, must be we made the milkshake. We weren't making milkshakes. We're making the most fully developed human the world has ever seen. But instead of just one perfect kid, mom had the two of us. Way to go, mom. Wrong. The embryo did split in two, but it didn't split equally. All the purity and strength went into Julius. All the crap that was left over went into what you see in the mirror every morning. <laughs> so bad. That's so terrible. Um, Austin has a twin brother, Logan, who's definitely taller and bigger, and so I wanted to make some sort of a joke about Logan <laughs> and Austin, but I refrained. I'm just I want to put that out there. I refrained from the joke. Um, in Romans, it says that there is uh, some who are weak and some who are strong, right? Some Schwarzeneggers and some DeVitos. What Romans also tells us as the weak and the strong are still brothers and sisters. Uh, Romans goes on to tell us how the weak and the strong are actually intended to interact with one another. So this morning we're going to be looking at Romans 14 and the beginning of chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. And while you're turning there, I want to explain to you, give you a little roadmap of what we're about to do today, all right? So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to read through the text. It's a fairly long text. We're going to read through it, and I'm going to explain to you who the weak and who the strong are, all right? Help us understand who these two groups of folks are. Then I want to take a little bit of time to explain what the Bible has to say about how each one is intended to act with one another. That teaching is going to come right as we're walking through the text itself. Then I want to give you one overarching principle 
that helps us understand and tie in the entire section of Scripture. And then we're going to ask the question, does this apply to masks and vaccines? Okay? I'll tell you, uh, I'm not, I wasn't super excited about having this conversation, just to be honest. And then, like, the whole thing really kind of blew up on Thursday, and I even had to rewrite some of this. But it's a needed conversation. And we're not going to shy away from it because at TLC, we do hard things. We step into hard places. We're not afraid or ashamed of what God's word says, and we move towards it. So, with that in mind, buckle up. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, before I can even go on any further, I'm going to be doing this as we're reading through. There are some key terms that are important, and disputable matters is probably one of the most important in this entire text because it helps set up the context of what Paul is talking about, okay? Paul says that we're to accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling or fighting over disputable matters. Disputable matters are things that don't affect the gospel, all right? Things that the Bible doesn't speak to clearly. So, a disputable matter would be something that isn't an issue that we would die for. Does that make sense? That's important to understand as we walk through the rest of the text. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters, things that a good Christian could disagree on. One's, uh, excuse me, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Side note. This is not knocking vegans, okay? That's not what Paul's talking about here, all right? Vegans, y'all ain't weak, okay? Uh, Verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. In other words, look, You don't answer to me, you answer to God. And I don't answer to you, I answer to God. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not a mutuality between us, right, as brothers and sisters. We're intended to care for one another, but ultimately, God has to be my judge. And so this text says, I stand or fall based on what God thinks of me, what I believe God has called me to do, and whether or not I've been obedient to that. Let's keep going, verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. Whoever uh, And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. It's kind of getting back to the same thing. He's kind of emphasizing again with another issue that was going on. Truth is, we don't know exactly what was happening in Rome. We don't have uh, enough background to fully understand. Scholars have some pretty good ideas, but we're not 100% sure. There's really three things that are going on. Two of them are mentioned here. One gets mentioned a little bit later in the text, but I'll bring it in now because it's apropos to our discussion. The first is the eating of meat. There were some folks in the Christian community in Rome that didn't eat meat. They were abstaining from meat. 
We don't know if they were always abstaining, if it was certain kinds of meat, uh, but they weren't eating, and some were eating meat. They're like, yo, meat's delicious. I'm going to eat some, all right? There are other folks that said, hey, there is a specific day that is holier than other days, and we need to pay attention to that day and treat it as such. And others were like, no, no, no. Every day is the same. Doesn't matter, man. Like, we can do this now. We can worship God here. We can worship God there. We can worship God here now or whenever. All right, so there's days. The third thing was uh, wine. Comes up a little bit later. But some people were abstaining from wine, while other people were like, yo, wine's dope. God made it. It's good stuff. You should enjoy it, okay? So that's kind of the issue. Now, Paul says, <laughs> wine's dope. I don't know. That's a good bumper sticker. I just, like, trademark, called it. <laughs> what in the world am I doing this morning? I don't know. Let's get back. Let's get back to the text. So we've got these three issues that is dividing the Christian community. Now, I want to say something here. Paul says that one of these groups is weak and one of these groups is strong. He's talking about their faith because one group doesn't think that they have the ability to do what the other group is doing. Paul actually sides with the strong. We'll see that in a little bit. Paul actually says that the weak are wrong and the strong are right. But as we continue to read, we will find that Paul is less interested in whether you are right or whether you are wrong, but what you do with it to the other. Let's continue to read. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Before I do that, um, so I told you I would explain who are the weak and who are the strong. I thought I had this like locked in. I thought I knew this, and then I was studying it a little bit more uh, in depth this past week. Here's what I found. There's actually five, potentially six different possibilities, all right? I'm going to give you the top three that it could be, and I'm going to tell you which one I still think it probably is, but I want you to understand that like uh, sometimes we think we're the Schwarzenegger and really we're the DeVito, all right? Sometimes we think we're the DeVito and we're really the Schwarzenegger. So keep looking. Uh, what are the... Who are the weak? There's three options. Number one, the weak are Gentile Christians who abstain from meat and perhaps wine, especially on certain fast days under the influence of pagan religious traditions. In other words, Gentiles that used to follow different pagan traditions that would on certain days fast from meat and possibly wine because they were still connected to their pagan traditions, or at least they thought that it was good for them to continue to practice that. I never thought that it could potentially be Gentiles. But that's one of the options. The second option is that the weak are actually Christians, either Jew or Gentile, maybe both, generally who are devoted, for whatever reason, to an ascetic lifestyle. Ascetics are basically people that they uh, um, throw off like comforts. So they wouldn't drink wine because it's wine. They wouldn't eat meat because, or any rich food. They would uh, kind of get away from sugar. They might take a vow of poverty. Um, that's called living an ascetic lifestyle. It's when you kind of throw off the comforts and the, the, the richness of, of things as a way to kind of sacrifice yourself to follow God, to honor God. The third possibility is the weak are mainly Jewish Christians who do not eat certain foods and observe, uh, who do not eat certain food and observe certain days and perhaps do not drink wine out of loyalty to the Mosaic law. Okay, now, I still think that that is probably the most likely option in the text. And I'm going to read the rest of the text with that assumption. But it could be any one of these three. All right? 
So good for us to remember sometimes when we're like, well, I, I got it down, I know, da 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 da. All right. Verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. You see, Paul's connecting these ideas that uh, we belong to God. God is our ultimate authority. So, so then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. This is Paul right here saying, look, eat the meat, ain't no problem. Strong ones, you're right. Weak ones, you're actually wrong. But he's going to say the issue of being right or wrong is not the thing he cares about. Let's keep reading. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but... If anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. He goes on to say, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. Now, there's a couple of words in this section that I want to point out as well. The first word is distressed. If your brother or sister is distressed, because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. The word distress there um, isn't simply like they're like bummed out or they're mad at you that you're doing something that they don't think is right. Like, you know, uh, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't dance and just, I can't believe you're dancing. It's not, that's not what it means. The word distressed here that Paul uses actually has the idea of uh, causing pain. So it's not simply that they're just like mad at you or think that you're bad for doing it. It's that what you're doing uh, is actually so offensive to them that it's causing like an emotional, a spiritual, uh, uh, not necessarily a physical pain per se, but like they're pained. It's not just simply like, oh, I don't like it. Now, uh, we understand the context of this word distressed even greater as we continue reading uh, what Paul says. He says, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, uh, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. The word destroy there, actually is used by Paul to describe ultimate spiritual destruction. When Paul uses that word, he's saying somebody that is a follower of Jesus, and because of the way that you are using your freedom and kind of sticking it in their face, it's so abhorrent to them, so painful to them, that they may actually walk away completely from following Jesus. And Paul says, we cannot do that. You see, just because you may be right does not give you the ability to stick it in somebody's face or do whatever you want to do, exercise your freedom, because you might actually be destroying somebody else's faith, pushing them away where it's so painful that they actually walk away from the church, walk away from Christ. This is heavy language that Paul is dropping here. Verses 17 and 18. Do not, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So there's three words there that I want to point out because they actually help us understand something Paul is trying to get at. The first is the word righteousness, okay? 
Righteousness conveys a vertical relationship. It could be referring to our status before God just because of what Christ has done on the cross. It could also be referring to our status before God because of how we live rightly, but it's a vertical relationship, all right? And Paul says that when we're living correctly, it's good for our vertical relationship. And then he goes on to say not just righteousness, but peace. Peace describes a horizontal relationship that we have with one another. Peace refers to that horizontal relationship that when we're living rightly with one another, that's what comes. And then it says joy in the Holy Spirit. Look, when we have the vertical relationship correct, when we have the horizontal relationship correct, we actually internally experience joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when those things are working well together. And it's not just about being right. It's actually about how we love one another in the body of Christ how we love people who think differently than we do. You see, I I think appearance is one thing, all right? We talk about diversity. We say that a difference is beautiful. We want to have a diverse church. We want to look as much like heaven as we possibly can. We know that there is power and beauty and strength in diversity. God created diversity. But way too often we get hung up on the outward appearances, right? We think we're diverse if, if we're like, we have people that all look differently, right? Or sound differently. But I will tell you this. I think one of the most difficult things for us to do is actually love people who think differently. Now, is it possible that sometimes thinking is connected to outward? Maybe, sometimes. But there's folks that look just like me that think way different than me. And the question is, will I love them? Let's keep going. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Vertical, horizontal, what we experience when we go after those things together. All right, I got two more little chunks for us. Uh, Read with me 19 through 22a. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace, and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. You could also say, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of masks. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of vaccines. The work of God is referring to the church. Already he said, yo, don't be so worried about what you can or can't eat that you're willing to destroy somebody's faith. Now he's saying, don't be so worried about what you can or can't eat that you're willing to split my church, to destroy my church. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) First of all, he talks about stumbling. The word stumble uh, means to trip somebody up that they fall into a trap. All right? And then a little bit later, he uses the word fall, your brother or sister to fall. Again, he's talking about spiritual ruin here. You're so worried about what you can or can't do that you'll do anything that you want to do without even worrying or thinking about what it might do to your brother or sister. He's like, look, knock it off. Stop trying to convince everybody that you're right. Man, are you guys so sick of that online? Look, it's all right to have opinions. It's all right to talk about those opinions. All right, we ought to be thinking well about this stuff as followers of Jesus. God has given us minds. He expects us to use them. 
However, when all we care about is trying to tell people how dumb or stupid or wrong or inconsiderate or unloving or reckless or fill in the blank, right? And those are things we hear from both sides. Oh, you vaccinated your kids? You're reckless. Oh, you're not getting a vaccine? Oh, you want to kill people? Right? You've all heard it. Hopefully you haven't said it. But we've all been listening to these things left and right. What does Paul say? Stop trying to convince everybody. Keep it between yourself and God. That's a good little point of reference. Now, I don't think Paul means here, you can't have discussions about it. You can't learn about it. You can't have healthy debate about it, right? We absolutely can and should. But when it comes to how we engage with one another in the body of Christ and how we engage in the body of Christ leaks out into how we engage outside of the body of Christ, Paul says it's important that we hold these things between ourselves and God and not use our freedom as a stumbling block to others. Why? Because of love. Keep looking, last section. Verse 1 of chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. Jump down to verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Even Christ did not please himself. Look, the strong should use their strength to build up the weak. That's what we're intended to do. Not to flaunt it. Not to tell them how right we are and how wrong they are, right? Not to say this is the way or that is the way. These are disputable matters. Now, there is one important point that I need to make before we can step into the overarching principle and then ask the question, does this have any application to vaccines and masks, all right? So uh, Dr. Doug Moo, he was actually one of my profs when I was in seminary. He is like a stud Roman scholar, uh, wrote a couple different commentaries on it, and he says this about this passage, and I think it's so important that we catch. He says, nevertheless, and this is a vital point, we cannot extend the tolerance Paul demands here to all issues, as we have noted, he takes a different approach toward people who are violating a clear teaching of the gospel. Such people are not to be tolerated, but corrected in love. That's so important that we catch, okay? You can't quote Romans 14 and say, oh, it doesn't matter what they think. I'm just supposed to tolerate them. They can think something completely different than me. When it's a clear teaching of scripture, that's not true. Paul is clear that these are disputable matters. He's not even saying that he's not sure who's right. He says these are disputable matters, and there's an obvious right one and an obvious wrong one, okay? Paul puts that out there. But they're still disputable in that they are not issues that will lead you away from, uh, excuse me, they will not keep you from heaven. They will not keep you from a relationship with Christ. So we can't simply say, well, anything we disagree on, we just have to be okay with and accept. Look, if it's a clear teaching of Scripture, Paul says we're supposed to then uh, honor that clear teaching of Scripture and not simply accept everybody's different opinions, but rather gently in love correct them. 
All right? When it comes to disputable matters, though, it's a different thing altogether. That's where we're supposed to accept one another, even folks that disagree with us. So what's the overarching principle? It's a good one. I like it. The overarching principle is this. Freedom is wonderful, but love is even greater. Freedom is wonderful, but love is even greater. Uh, we live in America, all right? Most of you here are probably American citizens. Maybe we got a couple of dual citizens here, all right? Maybe a couple green card holders. It's awesome. Most of you, though, are Americans. And what do Americans love even more than red meat? Freedom, baby! We love that freedom, don't we? Woo! Land of the free, home of the brave. Come on, man. We love our freedom, right? And we should. Freedom is a great thing. Freedom is a good thing. Freedom is actually God's idea. It ain't American, baby, all right? God is the one who came up with freedom. But love is even better than freedom. In Scripture, love is greater than freedom. In fact, quite honestly, love is what makes freedom good. If you can't sacrifice your freedom to love somebody else, you're not actually free. Freedom actually is the ability to set aside what I want, what I can rightfully do, to sacrifice it, to love someone else. That's actually what Jesus does. Jesus gives up his freedom in heaven, everything he has. He leaves that and comes and he puts on a body, a physical body. He didn't have a physical body before. He puts on a physical body, flesh and blood with its limitations so that he could show us how to live, so that he could die in our place, so that we could have relationship with him forever. Friends, that is how freedom gets used appropriately. Freedom to set aside my freedom to love someone else. That's the call of the text. So, what in the world does this have to do with masks or vaccines? Truth is, it's not a one-to-one -one application here. I wish it was, but it's not. They're talking about uh, a Jewish religious system that Jewish folks are believing in Christ and trying to figure out how do I honor God that I've been doing for the last 50 years of my life and now all of a sudden I have these freedoms that I just don't know if I feel good and comfortable about and how are those that experience those freedoms, how are they going to love them and how are the ones that don't feel free to do it, how are they going to make sure to not judge? So it's not a perfect one-to-one, -one, but I do believe that the overarching principle that freedom is wonderful but love is even better has massive application to the concepts of masks and vaccines. Here's where we have to start though. Can we all agree that there's nothing in the Bible that makes vaccines or masks a gospel issue? If you choose to wear a mask or you choose not to wear a mask, that is not going to be the difference in whether you get to heaven. If you choose to get the vaccine like I have or choose to not get the vaccine, that is not a difference that's going to keep either one of us in or out of heaven. It's not a gospel issue. This is a disputable matter. I'm not saying that there may or may not be a right answer and a wrong answer, all right? What I'm simply saying is that it is a disputable matter. I have 
really close friends that I know and love that have very different opinions on this than I do. The question is, will I love them? Will I still pursue unity? Will I set aside my desire to be right or wrong or whatever and say, I'm still going to love you and care for you? I'm not going to make a big issue of this. Uh, This past week, I had some really long conversations with some folks that I really, really love who disagree with me on this issue. And they were good conversations. They were hard conversations at times, but they were good conversations. What I came away with, and I'm super grateful that I was actually able to engage in this text all week as I was thinking about it, is my love for them, my unity with them as a brother and sister in Christ, way more important than where we come up on this thing. Way more important. Um, On our leadership team, we have folks that sit uh, way over here. You ought to get vaccinated, do it as quick as you can. We have other folks over here that are like, heck no. Not going to get vaccinated. Don't trust the science yet. Unsure about it. Want to see more time. And maybe even then they won't. We've got folks in our church that can't get vaccinated because of some of their underlying health conditions. Doctors literally will say, you you can't do it. You're just not allowed to. How are we going to love those folks? How are we going to care for one another? Regardless of where you sit. Friends, I am so proud of our leadership team that they have been on different sides of this conversation and yet have come together in unity because that is what Christ expects of us. That's what he desires for us. We've got to learn to love people who think differently than we do. And I don't mean simply tolerate them, right? When it says accept them as Christ accepted you, Christ wasn't like, fine. You know what I'm saying? I remember I was a senior in high school playing on the soccer team, kind of a big deal, not really. But I was one of the captains on the team, and there was a freshman, and he was good enough to play varsity with us, but I wasn't having it. I'm like, this punk little freshman thinking he can get in here, get some playing time, get his head all big? No, my job as the captain of this team is to make sure his head stays small. And that was completely not a Christian perspective. Thankfully, I didn't stay there very long. I didn't simply accept him as a whatever. No, I began to realize that actually his success was my success. And not only that, but I wanted to see him flourish. I wanted to see this kid actually grow and get better. I wanted him to learn how to play the game the right way and interact with his teammates as well as the people he was playing against in a Christian manner. And so I had the choice. Am I going to accept this kid by going, whatever, dude, or am I going to accept him the way Christ accepted me? And that's really the, it's really the question the text is asking us. Will we accept one another the way Christ accepted us? Will we actually love each other? Will we be willing to sacrifice our freedoms for the sake of my brother or sister who thinks differently than me so they can feel built up and cared for? Friends, if we can't do it with each other, we will never do it out there. We've got to start here. 
Look, friends, I'm just telling you, there are things God wants to do in this church, through this church. He's not done with us. It's been a tough year, but friends, I can see the daylight beginning to come. The dawn is on the horizon, and God's beginning to fill my heart, and I hope yours as well, with vision of people who need to hear his word, who need to be found that are lost right now. Friends, there's folks out here that are going through divorces, that are struggling with anxiety, Things are going on with their kids. They don't know what to do about it. They feel lost. They feel trapped. They feel helpless. There are folks outside of these walls that need Jesus. And friends, if we can't love them, they will never know his name. And if we can't start it here, we'll never do it out there. So let's commit to one another, all right? That even if we disagree on a disputable matter, we're still going to love each other. We're going to think the best of each other. We're going to try to build each other up. And then what's going to happen is that's going to be a good thing. And we're going to have that vertical axis going right and the horizontal axis going right. We feel joy in the Holy Spirit. God's going to do some cool stuff in us and through us. And that's going to then wash out of these walls to folks that are outside. And they're going to start to see that, like, there's something different about them. What's going on? And you invite like, yo, you should come check out my church. And they're like, oh, church. And then they come, they're like, whoa, this is crazy. This is cool. Awesome. That's what it's supposed to be about. I believe God wants to just transform your life and my life and so many other people's lives through us. But it starts with love. Woohoo! I'm just telling you. This is just a little tip. The more you talk to your preacher, the better your preacher. I'm just saying that's the tip. The whole context from this actually comes out of Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The entire law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Father God, we want to be a church, a people that loves each other. God, we have differences of opinion. We think differently on disputable matters. There are weak and there are strong. I'll admit, God, I don't even know which one of those I am most of the time. God, let us not care about being right. Let us remember that you are our authority, and so ultimately we do what we believe you are asking us to do. And let us trust that every other person in our community here at TLC is doing the same thing, and then work to love them and see them built up and encouraged that we would truly, genuinely care for one another, not flaunt our freedoms or our opinions or our thoughts or try to get everybody to think exactly like we do, but rather to love one another in a way that allows us to grow up more and more into the image of Christ. Because God, we know when we do that here, it follows us outside of these walls to people who need you, God. God, let me love. God, I don't want to just talk about this stuff. And God, I'll admit, I forget, like... (laughs) God, I'll preach this, and then like I'll see something online, and then I'll, I'll, I'll forget. So just keep reminding me, keep reminding us what it's all about, where you want us to go, how you want us to interact and love each other. And we'll do our best. And when we fall down, we'll ask your forgiveness and ask one another's 
forgiveness, we'll say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And we'll begin to love each other again and continue to move forward again because God, we can't wait to see what you're going to do in us and through us in the weeks, months, and years to come. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for loving us. Amen.